Welcome to Procurement Reimagined, a podcast by Gatekeeper. We believe traditional procurement has had its day, the world is changing, and our industry needs to change with it. On the podcast, we share the best practices to help you streamline your procurement processes, navigate vendor onboarding, and ultimately get the most value out of your vendor contracts. I'm your host, Daniel Barnes. In this episode of Procurement Reimagined, I'm joined by Michelle Vita, Senior Director of Procurement and Strategic Sourcing at Datadog, a monitoring and security platform for cloud applications. Michelle talks about pivoting procurement from a static to an agile process, lays out the framework for an agile procurement architecture, and explains why more companies need to adopt it. She also offers helpful tips for leaders of procurement teams. I hope you enjoy this one. Michelle, could you just maybe go into your role at Datadog, what you're up to at the moment and sort of key priorities for you? Sure. Yeah. So a little bit of background. I've been at the company for about four years and I was the first procurement hire at the organization. So responsible for building everything out that we currently have in place with my team's help, of course. So I've built the team, you know, I was the first hire. So I had to build out the team from there and sort of determine what the appropriate structure is of the team. Really, the biggest thing we're working on now is we've finally bifurcated the team into an operations side and a strategic sourcing side. And the sourcing side is brand new. Both employees have been at the company for about three months. So it's really socializing the idea of sourcing with all of these internal stakeholders throughout the company because it is a very new thing for them. And there are varying reactions to it. Like you'll have one group of people that they're like, great, I had this at my former company. I'm like so excited that you're finally doing this. It's going to take so much off of my plate. And then you have people that are like, I don't really get it. Why would you want to be involved that far ahead if we haven't even picked a vendor? So we're trying to socialize this idea of why being more proactive and collaborating on the strategy of the purchase will actually benefit everybody in the end. And, you know, like being reactive, including us at the end is just not doing anybody any favors, especially in this macroeconomic environment and how closely leadership is looking at everything. So that's really what we're working on. It's like kind of a roadshow right now. Yeah, that's awesome. I've seen you talking on LinkedIn about the uh, strategic source and stuff. I saw at DPW, you said you were still waiting to make your first hire in that team. So it sounds like you've made that hire and you've got someone in for a few months now. Yeah, we made the hire finally. The position was open for a very long time. You know, I think in reality, we really didn't know what kind of person we needed or the type of role that we needed. But as we went out and we were interviewing people, we slowly started to understand the type of person that's out there and really what is the best next step for the team. At first, we thought it was more of a vendor management role rather than sourcing. But I sort of had this light bulb moment where I was like, okay, no, it's sourcing. The other side is operations, which you can consider just to be procurement in general. And then the strategic sourcing team, you know, is on the other side. And yeah, ended up getting a great hire. He's incredibly strong. And then shortly after that, we hired somebody reporting to him who's also very strong. And they're ramping up really quickly. And it's really nice to see what they've accomplished thus far in such a short period of time. Yeah, that's amazing. Would you prefer to wait for the right person? I know I talk to a lot of people who are hiring. And when I've been hiring myself, you're almost in two minds about, oh, that person was almost good enough. We could just hire now and we could get someone in and start doing this. Or we could wait you know, X amount of time and we don't know when that person may come along. Like, What's your thoughts around that? 
as cheesy as it sounds, I think like everything really happens for a reason and you end up with the right person usually, or maybe I've been so lucky that I've just always ended up with the right person. And this has happened to me more than once. Like my first hire on my team, we had somebody that agreed to start to the point that she had her laptop ready to go. And she ended up reaching out to us and saying she found her dream job and she was no longer going to be starting a Datadog. And, you know, fine. Okay. Happy for you. And it's funny. I was like, I don't even know what a dream job is unless it's like getting paid a million dollars a year to like play with puppies and kittens all day, you know, but I'm like, all right, best of luck to you. So we ended up going back out in the search and somebody internally applied for the job. And when we were in the final round, it was between this candidate that was an internal hire and between a person that had classic procurement experience. And looking at the two of them, I was like, okay, do I want a person that has data dog knowledge or do I want a person that has procurement knowledge? And, you know, I did feel that they were a classic procurement person. And I felt that, you know, the person that was working at Datadog was a little bit more, it was just a clean slate. Like they had no preconceived notions about what procurement is. So we ultimately ended up hiring that person and one of the best hires that I've ever made. So, you know, I do believe that like everything happens for a reason. You end up with the right person. And with this sourcing role, we had offers out to people. They backed out. We, you know, were ready to hire somebody and it got shot down. I mean, we went through the whole gamut for this role. And, you know, I really truly believe in my gut that we hired the right person in the end. And, you know, that's who's on my team now. And I can't imagine hiring anybody else now that like he's hit the ground running. I'm like, you are absolutely perfect for the role. So it was worth the wait. It was literally almost a year that position was open. So yes, it was stressful because, you know, I knew we weren't working as efficiently and effectively as we could have been if we had more people. But, you know, it, it ended up working out in the end. I really like that story. That's a really nice one because the last thing you want to do is bring someone in on something so important and them not to be the right fit. You mentioned here sort of that, that classic procurement persona. Could you maybe break down how you see it? Because I've heard you talk about the classic, more traditional procurement professional and this new professional, sort of the agile jack of all trades professional. Yeah. I think at one point in my career, I was probably leaning more towards a classic procurement professional because that was the environment that I was in. I was working for a construction company and purchasing the same things over and over. So it was kind of like a plug and play, like we were running a seven step process, just same thing every time. I mean, if you're buying construction services, you're redoing, you know, a lobby in a building or you're putting on a new roof on several different buildings throughout the portfolio it's the same thing over and over. So you're kind of just a little bit myopic, you're running this process. And there's really no thought around how can we make this better? How can we make it more efficient? How can we use technology to automate certain parts of the process? Because I just don't think in an environment like that, there's really an appetite for that, or really a need because you're not doing anything that intense, like you're not, there's nothing outside of the box that you're doing. There was never a time that there was a project that it was like, wow, we've never done something like this before. It was just always the same thing over and over. And, you know, it's not to say that folks that are working in a classic procurement environment are less than those that are working in agile. I just think that it's two different types of people with two different types of responsibilities. So with agile, I think it's more so one, 
it's just such a larger scope of things that you need to deal with on the day to day. So like, for example, at my old company, when, you know, we were running like a seven step process, it was very clear what our role was and where we came in in the process. And it was just a very like black and white. And my role now bleeds into so many different areas and we get involved in so many different things that the end to end procurement process is much longer and wider than it was in that like classic environment. What I mean by that is that every single thing that needs to be done along the way in order to procure something falls underneath our umbrella. So like vendor reviews, for example, collaborating with the different teams that need to review these vendors, right? Security, privacy, IT, legal, all of these teams, like we have to collaborate with them on the day to day and look at this overall process and take ownership of that process to make it more efficient for internal stakeholders. You know, and I think there's also a little bit more a strategy element when you're talking about agile procurement, because it's less reactive, more proactive. So really leveraging data to understand where you have savings opportunities to really like manipulate data and make decisions based on that rather than just running this process over and over where you're going out for RFP, you're gathering the bids, you're leveling the pricing, you're doing a round of, you know, RFIs and clarifications, and then ultimately picking a vendor and just contracting them and then passing it off. So, you know, I think that I'm very lucky in that my team is very agile. And again, like, it's not to say that a person that was in a classic procurement environment can't make the transition. I did. There's people on my team that had just a different thought process, like always a hunger for making things more efficient, always like wanting to automate things and just not sitting back and being like, okay, well, this is the way it is. Like that is something my team never does. Like they're always raising their hand and being like, I don't like the way this is operating. I want to fix it. So I think that's like, that's a huge part of it too is just always that want and need to be better and more efficient. Yeah, my mind's racing, so I'm trying to think of the best question to ask here. The first one I wanted to ask there is around the sequential element. So procurement can be quite sequential if you're following quite a traditional process. You kind of do everything in order. It's part of agile procurement for you, mixing that up a little bit. My experience of it is doing a contract review as you're onboarding or sometimes even earlier, right? You could be looking at all the commercials negotiating and you may be negotiating with a couple of parties, knowing that you're only going to work with one or two of them at some point. Yeah, totally. I think that we've done a really good job at looking at the process from end to end and determining when things can be done in parallel. And I think that there was always a school of thought that there are certain things that have to go sequentially when in reality, when you really looked at the numbers, like for example, you know, like legal wouldn't want to start reviewing a contract unless the vendor passed through and was actually approved, which I understand because you don't want to waste bandwidth on something that's ultimately not going to be approved. When in reality, if you take a step back and you look at the data, the amount of vendors that we've actually given like an absolute no, like you cannot pass, it's few and far between. I mean, of the four years I've been at Datadog, it's maybe happened twice. So make the process around the rule and not the exceptions. And that's what we've done a lot of, you know, and there's other things you can do, for example, like something that we've pushed out over the past years, like the use of contract templates, right? That was something that we were never really doing before, which obviously would extend the timeline 
of the process and the cycle because legal had to look at every single thing as if it was a new contract because it was, it was on vendor paper. So, you know, we were just looking for different ways to make the process more efficient and we're just continuously doing that and peeling away all of these things are just sort of unnecessary in the process and like old school way of thought. You know what I mean? Like Datadog has exploded. And when I started, there was 1500 employees. Now it's 5,000. Yeah, you can't possibly take all the processes that you started with and keep going with them. I mean, if the company is evolving like that, your processes need to also. And if you're not changing processes, you're not getting better. So that's what I just always try to preach to my team. Like, we can change anything we want here. We are the masters of the process. Like, we own it. You're open to change anything you want. Nothing is written in stone here. Yeah. And to that point, that is reliant on you some way being a strong leader, right? Because a lot of leaders can get very possessive over the processes that that kind of fall within their remit. So how do you go about being so open? Have you always been like that? Is it something that you've had to learn in your leadership role now? Yeah, it was definitely something that I needed to learn and fine tune. I wasn't always good at it. I was certainly possessive over certain things and a little bit myopic when it came to, you know, I have a process in place. It's the right process. And those who cannot follow it are just incorrect. And, you know, there's something wrong with them. But in reality, that's not the truth. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. it's like a really harsh moment, like where you look at everything, and you're like, all right, well, if nobody can follow this process, that means that it stinks, you know, and you need to change it. So I've spoken about this in other interviews, but we sent out a survey to our internal stakeholders and got their feedback. And the feedback was mortifying because, you know, people take an opportunity to just unleash when they get an anonymous survey. Of course, like we've all done it. You know, who knows what happened that morning? They had some traffic on the way to the office and they're like, all right, I'm going to let loose on this survey. And, you know, it was hard to read at points, but in reality, people were giving really good feedback and it was really actionable feedback, which we spent a very long time implementing fixes for. So, I mean, there's going to be people that are never going to want to follow the process and you just don't focus on them. But there are people that are like, they genuinely want to do the right thing and they want to collaborate. So focus on them and ensure that the process is easy for them to navigate and also take a lot of responsibility off of them. Like I always thought that things should be kind of self-service and like the internal stakeholder should be able to sort of shepherd the process. But if you have a person that's on the marketing team, they have job duties and it's to bring in revenue for the company, right? Like to put on these campaigns, to bring in customers, right? They have their own things they have to worry about. They don't want to navigate some procurement and legal process that's like very complicated. So one of the things that we did was we just started introducing procurement shepherding, where it's like you have a person that's dedicated to your deal, whether or not it falls underneath the scope of strategic sourcing or not. So like literally, if it's anything, low value, low complexity, you're going to have a person from the procurement team that's like, hey, I'm working on this for you. And if I need you for something, I will reach out, like kind of sit back and relax and we'll get it over the finish line. And I think that's taken a lot of contention out of the process. And I think it's just proved that we are partners in this process and we're not here to make your life miserable. You know, we're here to partner with you and make your life easier, actually. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that approach. I've used that approach in the past. It kind of falls down in some ways, can't it, if your process sucks in any way or if there's any roadblocks or inefficiencies, because 
you can sort of shepherd it along, take the pressure off until suddenly it doesn't land when they need it to. And I guess that's what you're saying though with your team, right? Like you're asking your team to be proactive and say, hey, if this doesn't work, come out and call it out and let's fix it. Yeah. And I think being the shepherd in the process, they're the ones that are feeling any inefficiencies of the process. So they're more likely to raise their hand and be like, this is affecting me and I want to change it. It's much easier to do that when it's affecting your day to day than when you're getting complaints in from internal stakeholders. Like I think just by nature, we're just kind of like, all right, they're just a complainer, right? But when it's happening to you, it's like, okay, I'm going to enact change right now because I don't want to do it this way anymore. And we've changed a ton of things along the way. And I'm open to it because I was one person putting a lot of these processes in place. So that doesn't mean that it's right. It probably means that it's wrong because I didn't have anybody to really collaborate with on it. I was just like, hmm, this is good. You know what I mean? And I'm also, I have a pile of work on my desk this big because I'm the only person. So yeah, this process sounds good. Probably didn't put too much thought into it and said like, oh, this is a Band-Aid solution. Didn't think about things down the road because I just didn't have the time or the mental bandwidth to do it. So you have to change things as you go along. You know, nothing's written in stone. Yeah, constant iteration is such a underused skill set from a procurement standpoint. So when you're thinking about your team and like the skills that people need to succeed in this environment, what comes to mind? So you've kind of spoken about this sort of proactiveness in process design, development, enhancements, things like that. Is there anything else that you think people should kind of focus in on to really get ahead? Because I'm completely with you on this view that this will probably become the predominant way of operating in procurement going forwards, at least in large swathes of it anyway. Yeah. I think also, at least for the sourcing side, analytical skills, it's huge because part of being proactive is being able to look at data and find trends and determine where there are opportunities. You know, the folks that we hired on the sourcing team are both highly analytical, just like great at Excel, great at doing financial models, projecting out, you know, growth and licenses and things like that. Like that's incredibly important. It's quite rare as well, Michelle, to have that. Yeah, for sure. And I think also just a collaborative nature is very important because I think part of agile procurement is not being like that gatekeeper in the process and being like this evil procurement (laughs) team that slows everything down. I think you really have to know how to collaborate and want to collaborate with people And also like take a step back and be like, all right, I kind of get why this person is maybe complaining about something, right? Like being able to take a step back and put yourself in their shoes, I think is really important. And also not being so boxed in to whatever sort of process you have. I think like classic procurement people are like, it has to go this way every single time. And I think agile is more malleable, you can kind of change things as you go along, it doesn't always have to go the same way each time, because the needs are not the same each time. You're working on so many different types of projects. I mean, the way we would approach buying swag for the entire company for new employees and putting a deal in place for that versus negotiating a CRM tool versus construction services for new, it's all different. And you can't possibly follow the same thing over and over. So I think a person that can kind of work outside of the box and not be boxed into a very specific process is incredibly important. Yeah, I really like that point. They almost become 
like guardrails effectively like you should stay close but if you need to move away to get it done just make sure you're doing everything properly right like make sure like contracts are getting signed that these suppliers these vendors are legit and no software typically breaks this doesn't it because you might want to do like a proof of concept at the start and like proof of concepts don't sit very nicely always with a traditional rfx process so what best practices would you recommend to procurement professionals listening in here that maybe they can enhance how they're doing things listen to your stakeholders ask them for feedback you know be a good partner don't be a policeman in this situation and i think also explaining the why behind certain things is really important so like this is something i often like i deal with internal stakeholders and in our conversations and it's like it's not just you have to do things this way because I said so. It's like, you have to do things this way because we are a public company that needs to follow certain regulations in order to be SOX compliant. And to be SOX compliant means X, Y, and Z. Understanding what's behind it, I think is really important. And I think also now that has sort of eased up because of the macroeconomic environment. I think it's very obvious to anybody that has their eyes open and, you know, like has a pulse that there's something that's going on. And we can't spend money the way that we always have. We need to be a little bit more frugal. So I think just things like that, that's the why behind a lot of what we're doing. And ultimately, it's not just, oh, because our CEO said so. This is why we have to do it. It's like, okay, we all want to work for a company that is doing well. And in order to ensure that we continue to do well, we need to be conservative with the way that we spend money. And if you include us up front in this process, we can go through that whole process and that vetting up front and ensure that when you pass this off to leadership for approval, it's going to be airtight. And we have gone through every single checkbox to ensure that this is a good move for the company. So it's like, do you want to just go to leadership on your own and have them possibly deny it and be like, you didn't think about this at all? Or do you want to just partner with us and we'll help you do that? And we just try to say to people like, listen, we are dealing with leadership on the day to day. We have marching orders from them. We know what they want to see. So you can work with us or like you could work against us. And usually they will work with us on it. I think that's really the biggest thing. Yeah, it's a good approach, right? Because I've worked with hundreds of procurement professionals over like the last seven years. And it was very rare that I saw any of them taking the time to sit down and explain like, hey, this is why it needs to happen. And maybe it's because at times we didn't know why we were doing things or they didn't know because it had just grown like this monolithic process and policy mess, especially in some public organizations. So I think, yeah, just taking the time there showed that it's airtight. I like that phrase, airtight, when you go to the leadership team. Yeah, just like you've gone through the vetting, you've audited everything and like, you know, the answers to everything too. And I think also for anybody listening outside of procurement too, just how you manage, I think it's incredibly important to explain the why to your team. And this is something that I think it's an instinct to do. I think it's just like the way that my career has sort of progressed from really low man on the totem pole that like was just getting stuff thrown at them like, hey, do this, like do this data entry. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what am I even doing? I don't even know why I'm doing this, right? So I think, you know, as a manager, and I start managing, you know, a larger and larger team, I didn't even realize that I was doing this. But it's like, I'm always like, okay, so the reason why we're doing this, and the background on this, and so everybody has context, and so on. 
And I didn't realize that I did this until actually somebody on my team, I mentor them and we meet once a month. And she said to me, she's like, it's really great. You always explain like the background of everything. I've never really had that. And I was like, wow, I didn't even really notice that until you said it. But I think it's just so important because then they could just pass it along to other people. Like they know the why. It's not just like, because Michelle said so, you know what I mean? Like who wants to say that? Like, it just makes them understand the entire process so much better and the ins and outs of everything and really helps them just be a face of the procurement team much more than just being like, Hey, you have to do this. Have fun with that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that approach. I kind of feel like it's not too polarizing, but almost a millennial approach in some ways. Like I've kind of always had that. Like I used to get the weirdest work when I first started with like data admin work. And I was like, why enough are we doing this? Like I thought it was going to be way more efficient. And maybe I was just super naive. That's why I kind of resonate with what you're saying about like, let's automate everything we can. Let's make things as clear and straightforward as possible. I'm completely with you. Yeah, for sure. Michelle, just to close up, this has been super insightful from you. I was just going to ask you like four really quick fire questions. Like how many contracts are you like personally responsible for? Do you like have any within your remit in your role? So basically my team in general looks at like every single contract that goes through the process in some capacity. And that's because I have an operation side. So not everything is going to get negotiated. It's more so, as I spoke about before, we've taken on, you know, the use of contract templates because everything previously had to go to legal. So in order to expedite that process and get ahead of it, my team took on the responsibility of like looking at every contract and determining, okay, is it something we've purchased before? Like, does it align with the terms we previously agreed to? And then, you know, we just bypass legal. As far as things that we're actually negotiating and like doing sourcing on it's all software so that is a lot we have like over 200 things that can be considered SaaS, and i would say about 45 to 50 of those can be considered strategic software so like things that are high complexity or high value so like salesforce zendesk those types of vendors and then any professional services that are over a hundred thousand dollars or like any goods that we're buying that's over 250k will fall underneath the sourcing team so it's a lot oh cool i had sarah k on from spin and she operated like a very similar model to that i just think it makes a lot of sense and zendesk i swear comes up on everyone's strategic vendor list right yeah <laughs> what's one piece of tech that you can't live without I think at this point, we use Workato for a lot of our integration building. So Coupa is our purchasing platform. We are tracking our work in Jira and we have to connect all of these things, you know, and legal's also tracking their things on a separate Jira board. So Workato allows us, it's a middleware. It allows us to connect all of these tools. And I think that we wouldn't be able to live without it because it not only connects these systems, but it also carries out a lot of automated actions. So like, for example, my team used to have to create a card on Legal's Jira board manually. And now all they have to do is just like do a checkbox and, you know, it moves over to their board automatically. So that's a big one. Yeah, I just love Zapier at the moment. I just use it with like Notion and just every part of my life. I'm like, oh, how can I do this one thing here and then just do a million other things for me? So yeah, totally. That's a cool example. Just to finish off, I'm a procurement genie. Get one wish. What's that one wish that you would like to make? I wish that companies would stop 
threatening to shut off our service if we don't have a contract signed by a certain date or using like other salesy tactics like this pricing is going to go away tomorrow. It's like, I don't believe that. So try it on somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's just some vendors that I wish that negotiations could be less contentious. That would be my wish for the genie. Yeah. I'm so with you on that. Like you live in the software world here. It just seems so common, right? With like SaaS or past products, like everyone's always threatening you at the very last minute to get signed. And to be honest, like just call their bluff half the time or every time. And the price is still there three weeks, four weeks, six weeks later, right? Like it doesn't go away. Yeah. I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago and I spoke at Zendesk's SKO and I have a really good relationship with the Zendesk team. And they brought me in to speak to their sales team to sort of like pull the curtain back on procurement and talk about how you can sell to procurement people more efficiently. And that was the piece of advice that I gave them. I was like, add humility into this process. Like we are all people that obviously we all have our needs in the process and our wants. I want to close the deal as much as you do. Like I'm getting pressure on my side to get the best deal. And just like, we're all humans. This is like just work. You know what I mean? Like stop being a robot about it. Like it's so clear when vendors have like very clear marching orders that it's just like this, like totally they have the blinders on. It's just like, say no to this type of discount. It's so aggravating to deal with. I'm like, hello, we're all people here. Like, let's try to be humans about this and get it done. And I get that you want to close the deal at the highest price. I want to close it at the lowest. Let's just like meet in the middle and be humans about this. So that's like some vendor relationships I just really wish could be like a bit smoothed over. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And Michelle, I just want to say thanks so much. It's been super fun. When I launched this podcast and when we started planning it, like maybe like six months ago, I had your name written down on like my first like 20 people that I was going to reach out to. So I'm glad we're able to make this happen eventually, for sure. Really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Anytime. Procurement Reimagined is brought to you by Gatekeeper. To find out more about Gatekeeper and how our vendor and contract lifecycle management solution is delivering visibility, control, and compliance to our customers, visit www.gatekeeperhq.com. And then make sure to search for Procurement Reimagined in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Gatekeeper, thanks for listening.